Welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. I don't know about you, but do you ever just sort of sit back and, you know, listen to some of the stuff that's going on in our world? Do you read the newspapers or jump on the internet or watch the news or whatever? It's just like there's some crazy, crazy, crazy stuff going on. Stuff that's happening today, things that people are saying and doing and the the sort of responses that are happening that even, you know, 20 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, when I was a young lad even, you know... Some of the stuff would be inconceivable, some of the things that we're hearing now, some of the things that are getting majored on. I mean, I don't know about you, but this whole Adam Goods thing? Yeah, come on. Come on. I mean, I know racism is a touchy subject, but I can speak on it because I've been discriminated against because of my race. I went to Adelaide High. I was, I was one of the few white boys there. Well, not white boys, but, you know, Anglo-Saxon Protestant descent, and there was lots of Greeks and lots of Italians, lots of Vietnamese, and they gave us a hammering. But I survived. I hold no malice. It all, you know, a lot of it was funny. Um, not all of it, but... <laughs> but, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, and I was chatting to says, he also can relate to this. He, he, he grew up in a minority at his school, and he copped... He said, but it, it only lasted until I could learn to laugh at it. It only laughed until I could turn it around. And so to me, you know, while I, I, I get racism, and I'm not pro-racism, and I hate abuse, and all that sort of stuff, I think it's a little bit strange to me when a man points out a 13-year-old girl in the crowd and calls her a racist or calls her out for being a racist, and then the crowd stands, as she's being escorted, I mean, you'd think she'd killed someone. Seriously, she's escorted from the ground, she's interrogated by the police, and all the high and mighty, you know, people taking the moral high ground and just abusing the daylights out of her, she gets carried, I'm thinking like, hang on, something's wrong here. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would never take my kids to the footy for a lesson in etiquette, a lesson in how to treat people. I, I don't know. I, isn't, you know, part of being in the crowd, isn't it all about abuse? Isn't it about, you know, and it's funny sometimes as well, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you, I don't know. Have things changed that much? I mean, I went to the footy last year. There was a lot of abuse going on then, and I didn't see anyone stop the game and say, well, you called me this or you called me that. And, you know, racism aside, there's lots of hurtful things that get said. In, the, in, the, in a football match or in lots of places. So that's, that's one thing that was in the news. And just, you know, ad nauseum in the news the last week. <clears throat> just, just the amount of airplay that, that has got and still getting is amazing. <laughs> Contrast that with a little situation that happened in England where a guy literally was butchered in the street, literally run down with a car and hacked to pieces of the machete the reporting on that was some guys of Muslim appearance. I mean, the guys are screaming Allahu Akbar. <laughs> However they say it, you know, like they're, they're, they're talking about their Islamic, they're talking about why they're doing it. People are standing there videoing them with their cameras for 20 minutes before the police arrive. No one's doing anything. There's a guy dead with his head hacked off. That got less news play than Adam Goods. And as a nation, we're facing some of the challenges, you know, we're a little bit behind in terms of England. And I'm not here to be racist about that. But I just think, where's our, we're kissing our brains goodbye. When that happens, and you know where the majority of the focus was on? Because again, you know, we're living in a politically correct season. 
And, um, you know, there are certain groups in our society that seem to be immune from criticism, but you know where the focus went to? The focus went to the English people that were jack of it. And there was about a thousand people that held a march and they were sick and tired of what's going on. And, and there was more airplay about that than what had actually taken place, certainly here in Australia. I don't know, I just think there's something very, very wrong. We also read about a little boy flushed down a toilet. You know, there's varying different reports on that. You know, some, some reports say that, you know, she gave birth in the toilet. That doesn't seem to be what happened. She, the baby was a couple of days old, apparently. So the baby was flushed down the toilet because for whatever reason, was not able to be kept or wanted to be kept. And so it's all these things that are going on. I don't know, but where's our perspective going? You know, things that used to matter, things that used to be horrifying and shocking, these days we just, oh yeah, carry on. And other things which in the day, days gone by we just took with a you know, grain of salt and moved on, these things are grabbing our headlines as if it's the end of the world. It's ridiculous. You know, sadly, if I think about our society, it's just, it's like it's, it's, a drunk, it's like a drunk person just reeling from one disaster to the next. And it doesn't matter how much political correctness we throw at it. It doesn't matter how much tolerance we throw at it. It doesn't matter how much education we throw at it. I don't know if you Tony mentioned Q&A, but um, uh, Mr. Krauss, Lawrence Krauss, his response to the problem of Islam in our world at the moment was they just need more education, we need to teach them maths, that'll fix it, that'll fix the problem. He said that, you can watch it on, on the internet if you like. More funding, multiculturalism, all of the things are that, these are the so-called answers that we're throwing out to try and fix some of the problems in our world at the moment. And tonight my message is entitled, No Religion, Don't Kid Yourself. And the reason I'm calling it that is because I'm responding, in a sense, to an article written by Tory Shepherd this week that was entitled this. It said, Tory Shepherd, religion should be left out of decision-making and play no part in how our laws are formed. On that same Q&A show, Amanda Vanstone said virtually that same thing word for word. Okay, so there's an agenda that's being pushed in our society today. Leave religion out of policy-making, leave it out of law-making, Leave it out of politics altogether. And I'll read you a little bit of the article, and I'm just going to unpack a little bit as we go. But this is how it starts. It says, go on, admit it, you think your religion is superior. If you don't have a religion, you probably think your atheism is superior. In order to believe in the second coming, or the flying spaghetti monster, or Thetans, I think she's betrayed her agenda there, um, you know, to put Christians you know, who believe in a second coming of Jesus, along with the flying spaghetti monster, and a theology of Scientology, I, you know, I think she's got a little bit of an issue with Christians to do that, honestly. Um, but anyway, if you believe in those things, or in none of them, you have to believe that other belief systems are inferior. Just because it's not polite or politically correct to say it, doesn't make it less true. So, so far in that article, I actually agree with Tory Shepherd. I think that is absolutely right. We all believe something. We all believe something. Now... Despite the mocking tone, she's got a point there. And that's my first point tonight, is the fact is we're all religious. Now, you know, I don't want to split hairs over, you know, Tony spoke about we're not religious, we have a relationship. But in this context, we all believe something. You know, religion is, is just really a set of beliefs concerning the cause, the nature and the purpose of the universe in which we live. Um, it often contains a moral code that relates to how we should live in this universe, etc. 
And a worldview, which is another word which you could probably insert in the place of religion, is simply just the lens through which we view this world. It's kind of how we make sense of things. You know, what do we believe with regards to some of the big questions of life? You know, like where did we come from? Why are we here? Who am I? Um, what's my purpose? And ultimately, where are we going to go when it's all finished? They're the sort of questions that, that are addressed in a religion or a worldview. And the reality is we all have one of those. Every one of us believes something about those things, whether we're a Christian, and maybe that's why we're here tonight, or whether we're just visiting, got dragged along, kicking and screaming by a Christian, and you don't believe in God, or you believe in flying spaghetti monsters, or whatever else it might be, you have a religion, you have a belief system. Okay, so that's the first point. You know, we can't just say, well, I'm not religious. You know, many people say, oh, I'm not religious. Well, news for you, every person is religious at some level. Okay, we all believe something about these questions. The second question, or the, the first question I want to ask, if you like, is what's your religion? What is it that you believe? Now, maybe you can name your religion. You say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm at church, aren't I? That's very easy for me to answer that question. But maybe you don't really understand what it actually means to be a Christian because Christianity has a worldview associated to it. There are things that Christians or that, that, that Jesus and the Bible teach about things like where we came from, why we're here, who we are, our purpose, and ultimately where we're going to end up. Okay, So you might be a Christian by culture because you were brought up in a Christian home or whatever, but you might not understand the implications of all those things. And many people live in that place, whether they're Islamic or whether they're Hindu or Buddhist or Christian. They're just brought up in a culture, and so they, they have adopted a label, but they don't necessarily understand what that label means. Other people might not have even thought about them. Well, I don't know what I am. I don't even know. I've heard terms like agnostic or atheist. Man, I can hardly say them. I never mind know what they mean. And so some people are in that boat. Some people have spent time reflecting on some of those questions, be they Christian, be they Buddhist, be they Hindu or Muslim or, or whatever. And um, you know, they've spent time thinking about where did we come from and how do we get here and what are we doing here and what does that mean for my life and how I should treat people and ultimately where is it all going to end. People have spent time thinking about that sort of stuff and maybe they're satisfied with the conclusions that they've come to. Maybe, and I think this would be a great thing, is maybe they would be open to further truth if they heard it. I love um, Anthony Flew as a, a renowned atheist, a guy whose books, so he's written some 50-odd books, I think, they're used as texts in universities, in philosophy and things like that, and he had made a commitment early in life to always go where the evidence led. And so recently, he's, he's over 80 years old, he's about 85 years of age, I think, and just recently he went from being a an atheist, one who totally does not believe that God exists, to being a theist on the basis of where the scientific evidence is heading. In a sense, kicking and screaming, but he's just like he's had to give in. He says, based on where the evidence is heading, I can no longer hold my position as an atheist. I'm not a Christian, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not anything else that believes in a God, but I at this point in time believe that we got here by divine creation. And he's on the way, he's, he's journeying that thing through. So I can, I can, I can really um, appreciate and commend a person who, who maybe thinks they've got some things better down in their life, but is always open. I think we need to be open to discovering further truth. And we need to be open to making adjustments. Even as a Christian, you know, you, 
You know, certainly when you first become a Christian, you, you, you learn some things and you think you know all about Christianity. But, you know, as we go along, we realize that we have to let go of a few things and have to hold on to a few more things a little bit more tightly. And then we gain a bit more understanding here and a bit more. And so there's a sense in which we're growing in our understanding of what we're, we're here for and what we're about. Okay, so some people are in that boat. Some people's minds are made up. Just, you know, that they're not going to believe in God, even if all the evidence points there. And I hope that no one in this room is in that boat, but possibly. And again, there are people going to be listening to this on, on a podcast and so on and so forth. But I, just, I would just encourage any person to keep their mind open to the possibility of something beyond what we currently know. And maybe you're one of the people that just kind of picks and chooses a little bit about what you believe. And you haven't really thought about the fact that what you believe actually doesn't make sense because you haven't really thought enough about it to do that. But think about it. You probably know lots of people that would claim to be an atheist, and at the same time they believe all religions are basically equal, and they're going to heaven. <laughs> that is logically inconsistent. That is like, that's like craziness, because if there's no God, there's no heaven. Guaranteed. If there's no God, it's like life is meaningless. We got by here by accident, we die, and when we die, we're dead. That's it. But many people live their life that because they haven't really processed it. They haven't really looked for inconsistencies. They're not living a lifestyle, a life, or don't have a worldview that is complete and/or consistent. And so the trouble is with that is that, well, for good as well. But ultimately, our beliefs go with us, and we will live in the blessing or otherwise the curse, if you like. We will live in the consequences of the choices that we make. And the actions that we do that flow out of what we believe. And again, why is our society in a mess at the moment? Because there's a whole bunch of individuals that believe certain things about why we're here. And often that doesn't include God. They don't understand they're created with a purpose and so they do what they like. And many people just get sick of life and think, well, if, I, you know, if, if this life is hard, well, check out, it'll be easier. And so you know, this, is, this is part of the problem in our society. We have what, you know, I guess, a prevailing worldview. Because we all have worldviews as an individual, and that's fine. But when you get to a point where a worldview has like a critical mass in society, society begins to reflect that worldview. And sadly, the worldview at the moment that is prevailing in our society is no longer Christianity. It was not too long ago, but it's no longer Christianity. But it's kind of this nebulous sort of all, you know, it's very tolerant. It kind of says all things are equal. It doesn't matter what you believe. It's all basically the same thing anyway doesn't want to believe in God, but it's kind of acknowledging God. And, you know, it's very, very nebulous. And, you know, there's no real, you can't really grab hold of anything in this prevailing worldview. And so there's a lack of purpose. There's a lack of understanding. There's a lack of many, many things in our society today. You know, if, a world, if, sorry, if the prevailing worldview in a society is you know, a worldview that basically accepts a level of personal responsibility, accepts that you know, we should respect one another, accepts that we should work hard, accepts that you know, we should forgive when people hurt, hurt us and all of that sort of thing. Well, you, know, you can be pretty well guaranteed that that society will flourish. If, on the other hand, the majority in that society have a, a, a sense of entitlement, perhaps they lack respect for authority or for other people, they're seeking revenge. Well, ultimately, that society will just implode upon itself. It can't do anything else but. And sadly, and, and you know, frighteningly for some, if you don't know that there's a future ahead and God's in control, you know, we are living in, a, in a quite a precarious state right now. Because what do you do when your religious or your, your worldview 
says, well, you know, we've got to tolerate everyone and we're just going to let everyone into our country, so on and so forth. Um, and that, that's cool, nothing wrong with that, but, you know, it will have consequences eventually. Because it all depends on, on what you're letting into the country and, and, and how you um, guard against certain thoughts and, and all those sorts of things. Because if you don't, you can lose what you had and what you appreciated. And there's a lot of people coming to Australia for certain reasons right now. Australia has been known as the lucky country. People are leaving certain countries because they're war-torn, because they're, they're, there's things that are going on in those places that are a direct result of the worldviews that have prevailed in those places for centuries, if not millennia. And yet if we just allow those worldviews to dominate here, we'll end up with the same result here. That's the bottom line. Probably not very politically correct, is it? Could get in trouble for that. <laughs> you know, there's a group of people, um, I've, I've mentioned these guys in the pulpit before, but they're called the Warani. They're the, um, the Alka people who live in Ecuador. And their worldview um, was very much centered around revenge. And when they were discovered, these people are famous because in the middle of last century, they, they killed five missionaries. I don't know if you've heard of Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and those guys. Um, but you know, when they, these people were discovered, and they, they, even now, many of them are living in isolation, um, but 60% of the people died in that society from, from murder. Like, you know how most societies, like most people die of things like sickness, old age, etc. Not there. 60% of people, all people who die, are killed because of the, the unforgiveness and the revenge and the payback that is just ingrained in their culture. And so worldview is important. It matters. It's going to affect the quality of the life that we live. Coming a little bit closer to home, something we understand a little bit more, you know that in the US, in the early 70s, they made a decision on abortion. And they legalised it. Since that time, there have been 55 million abortions. 55 million. Abortions, that's more than twice the number of the entire population of Australia. Just taken out by the stroke of a pen, in a sense. It's a direct result of a prevailing worldview that values human freedom and pleasure above life and responsibility. So what we believe is vitally important. And we just float along in life and take a bit of this and take a bit of that and don't really think about the consequences and where it's leading to our own peril individually and as a society. So two questions we've looked at. We've looked at, well, we've looked at firstly the fact that we all are religious in a sense and that we've all got something that we believe. The next thing we'll look at is, is how do we get it? How did you get what you believe today? How did you catch it? <laughs> Did you just absorb it? Because many people, again, they just absorb their worldview or their religion by virtue maybe of growing up in a Christian home. There's nothing wrong with growing up in a Christian home as long as you continue to think, as long as you ask questions, as long as you get to the point where you own the faith for yourself and not just hold on to it as a, as a tradition or a bit of a, a throwback thing. So we need to think as Christians, you have an awesome privilege and a great start in life if you're growing up in a Christian home. And I think many young kids are, you know, that do leave. You know, there's this, this age when people, you know, teenage, they go to uni, and, and they stop thinking, or they get intimidated out of their faith. But I would encourage parents to get their kids thinking about their faith. Don't just fob off their questions, but get them books. 
there's, there's books that are aimed at you know, young kids that talk about creation and evolution and compare the two and all that sort of thing. And, and prepare your children for what's coming. Because there's an onslaught coming. As Tones mentioned, you know, people hate Christianity. The prevailing worldview today hates Christianity because we're easy targets. You hate Muslims and you speak against them, you've got a good chance of, of retribution. So people don't generally try and upset Muslims. Christians, they're dead meat. They're going to turn the other cheek anyway. Let's just, let's just pay them out all we can. That's the way it is. That's why it's that way. So some people just absorb their religion or their faith through their family, through the media. You know, again, there's an agenda that is continually pushed through our media. Continually, it's anti-God. Well, more specifically, it's anti-Christian. It's do what you like. It's sleep around. It's whatever you want to do that feels good, just do it. That is continually being bombarded towards us. You go to school, you go to uni, again, you're going to get indoctrinated with a theory of evolution that says, you know, we got here by accident, nothing really matters anyway. Um, you know, and at the same time, they're trying to prepare you for life and make, get you to make something of yourself. And at the same time, they're saying, well, it doesn't really matter what you make of yourself. No wonder kids come out confused. No wonder people turn to drugs or alcohol. No wonder people suicide and so on and so forth. Because there's all these contradicting messages that are coming our way. Maybe it's about peer group pressure. Maybe it's just you get just too much flack from going to church, so it's easier not to go. So some people have a, a, a relationship or a, sorry, a religion or a, a worldview by default. Others are intentional about it. And I want to encourage us to be people that are intentional about what we believe. I want us to be people who look for truth actively, who discard what doesn't work, who are discriminating in the best possible sense of the word. You know, we're called to be discriminating. We're called to recognize that there are differences in, in, in things, in, in um, you know, again, in people, but not in a racist sort of way. But we've got to recognize there are some things that people are doing that are not good and they lead to harm. There are other things that are, people are doing that are great. We need to discriminate between what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong, what works and what doesn't work, and so on and so forth. Yep. We need to embrace things that make sense. And again, if a worldview is true, it will make sense. Which leads me to my fourth point tonight. Is it, is it worth believing? What you believe tonight... Is it worth believing? Now, I know I'm speaking certainly here to a room of majority of Christians, and I hope you're able to say a resounding yes to that, but I hope you've got some reasons for what you believe, because Peter said that we should have reasons for the hope that we have within us. We shouldn't just be you know, doing it because our friends are doing it or because our family told us to or whatever. We should be here with strong reasons as to why we believe. I want to pick up again with what Tori said, uh, Tori Shepherd, that is. She continues her mocking. She said this, Eric Abbott's leader of the opposition in the Senate, says we should be able to debate religion like we debate footy teams. And later she says, religion should have no role in how our laws are formed, debated or passed. Science, evidence and reason should prevail. Now, I don't know that I would particularly put religion and footy in the same, on the same plane, although perhaps Kerry would if she's here. Uh, <laughs> How are they going, Kerry? Where are you? <laughs> Might not be here tonight. Uh, not sure why. <laughs> could be one of two reasons, I think. Might be working or might be just mourning. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Brandon. Um, all right, for those that are listening, Kerry's an avid Port Power supporter and Brandon's her son. <laughs> But, you know, it makes total sense to me that we should be able to have a discussion around the merits of faith. 
religions. And we should be able to do that around the basis of those things that, that Tory elevates so highly. You know, science, reason, and evidence. I think they are totally appropriate things with which to examine faith or faiths or religions or worldviews. Because if anything's got anything worth saying or it's worth believing, it will stand the test of those things. If it doesn't, well, it's not worth worrying about. Seriously. You should discard anything that won't stand the test of time or won't stand scrutiny. Atheists don't have a monopoly on those things. They like to think they do and they like to talk like they do. You know, oh, we're about science. We're about evidence. We're about reason. Well, so am I. I'm a Christian, but I'm about those things too. And hopefully so are you. You know, it's not like all the scientists in the world are atheists and then all the idiots in the world are Christians. You know, there's plenty of scientists in the world that are Christians. There's plenty of scientists in the world that might not be Christians, but they believe in God based on their discoveries in science. Often it comes down to, often not where, we, where the evidence takes us, but really down to our preference and what we want to believe and, and the ramifications of what we might be leaning towards. You know, many people, you know, they can't escape the fact that there's a God, but they don't like the idea of judgment and accountability. So they'll look elsewhere from Christianity or other religions that would, would have that aspect to it. So some of the things that we might like to look at if we did actually get to the place where we were you know, imagine, imagine in, in our government today, we, you know, there was, this, there was this discussion about, okay, where's our nation heading? We're in a mess. What, what worldview, what religion should really be guiding the future of our nation? Let's put them all on the table. Let's check them all out and see which one really is most worthy of our attention. Imagine that. That would be awesome. But the sorts of things you'd look at is how did it start? What's its foundation? What's the authority that it claims to have? You know, you might start with things like, well, is it historically accurate? Does it have some ground in history or not? Is it just been made up? Were people there at the start of it? Or did some guy just make up a story about something that supposedly happened hundreds of years ago? Is it consistent? Or does it continually contradict itself? And there are many religions that just contradict themselves. You know, some people accuse Christianity of that, but they just don't understand what a real contradiction is. A contradiction is when two things cannot be true at the same time. You can't have God exist and God doesn't exist at the same time. They're contradictory. Okay? Is it complete? Is it a complete worldview? Does it give us an understanding of where we came from and where we're heading and all the bits that are important in between? Because if it doesn't, it doesn't qualify. Does it work in the real world? Does it work in the real world? Well, 2,000 years of history says Christianity works in the real world, wherever it goes, in a, in a pure form. Not, not with agendas, not with nonsense, but you know, Christianity lived out as per the Bible. There's always improvement in society. There's always improvement in a lot of people. You can be a Christian, and it doesn't matter if, if, if things are awesome or things are bad. You can thrive. And history has proved that out. It works. I want to quote something. We've mentioned Q&A. And one of the favourite people they like to get on Q&A is a, a guy called Richard Dawkins. And he's very anti-Christian. And uh, I, I love this because this, this is a response to Richard Dawkins by a fellow atheist. Um, and you know, Richard, Richard Dawkins tries to bring, bring science to bear in his arguments, often doesn't do the best job of it. 
And uh, this guy called David Sloan Wilson is responding to his latest book, The God Delusion. And he says, when Dawkins' The God Delusion was published, I naturally assumed that he was basing his critique of religion on the scientific study of religion from an evolutionary perspective. I regret to report otherwise. He has not done any original work on the subject, and he has not fairly represented the work of his colleagues. Hence, this critique of the God delusion and the larger issues at stake. And then he goes on to talk about this. He says, these studies were performed on such a massive scale. He's talking about you know, um, Dawkins' um, assumption, basically, that um, religion causes stress and guilt, more stress and guilt than it relieves. That's his, that's his assumption and one of his um, arguments against Christianity. You know, those mongrel Christians, all they do is want to make people feel guilty and ruin their lives and all that sort of stuff. That's something that he, he firmly believes and always advocates. Well, this, this guy, he's, a, he's an atheist, but he's a researcher in this area. He says, these studies were performed on such a massive scale and with so much background information that we can compare the psychological experience of religious believers versus non-believers on a moment-by-moment basis. We can even compare members of conservative versus liberal Protestant denominations uh, when, and, uh, when they are alone versus in the company of other people. On average, religious believers are more social than non-believers, feel better about themselves, use their time more constructively, and engage in long-term planning rather than gratifying their impulsive desires. On a moment-by-moment basis, they, resort, uh, they report being more happy, more active, more sociable, more involved and excited. Some of these differences remain even when religious and non-religious believers are matched. Oh, I won't worry about carrying on. So that's the stand. That's what this is the an atheist responding to Richard, Richard Dawkins' non-scientific but definitely agenda-driven assumption that if you're a Christian or people that have had Christian upbringing or whatever, they're just going to be guilt-driven, they're going to be miserable. You know, we need to throw off the shackles of a religion that is just holding us back and keeping us out of enjoying our life. And this guy's saying, sorry, bud, it doesn't actually work out that way when you do the research. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. You can give that a clap, I reckon. What do you reckon? Again, we'd expect that. I would expect that. If I, if I am following... You know, this God who is true and real, and you know, we're doing things his way, we would expect that there would be some blessing involved, and that's what the Bible tells us to expect. And that's what we find. And that's the sort of evidence, you know, that's the sort of thing you do. You apply scientific data or scientific approach, you look at the evidence, you apply a rationale to it, and you say, wow, on that basis alone, just that little example, it's like, wow, Christianity works better than atheism. So if we come back to, does it make sense in the real world, etc., is it explainable and supported by evidence? Again, these are the things that we need to be looking at. With regards to origins, why shouldn't evolution and creation be taught next to each other? There's only one reason why they're not, and that's because the prevailing world view is anti-Christian. Not because, you know evolution has all the evidence and all the science on its side and Christianity is just blind faith, that's not the reason. The reason is that there's an agenda being pushed that is anti-Christian and doesn't want to put these two things side by side. You know, it would be very easy to do. You just say, well, there's two hypotheses at the end of the day. One says that, you know, everything came from nothing. One says that God created everything. 
One says that things went from a state of, of, of chaos and disorder to order. One says that actually we were created in order and things are gradually descending into chaos. You know, the Bible talks about that fact, the, the bondage to decay. And so you could actually scientifically test those things. And many, many people have. And you know, for me, I grew up, I went to Adelaide High, as I mentioned, I did year 12 biology. I, all I learned at school was evolution. I then went to uni and all I learned at uni was evolution. I heard one, one talk on creation science and it had me like that. Not because I had an agenda that I just really wanted to feel good about my Christianity, because it didn't even bother me that I believed in evolution and was a Christian. I just thought, well, if that's what God wants to do, that's fine. Hadn't really processed it. You know, it was a little bit inconsistent. But the moment I heard some guys come and talk and just lay out the science with regards to evolution versus creation, it was like, wow, that makes sense. That matches what we see in nature. That matches what we, we read about when we, when we look at archaeology and, and, and um, uh, paleontology and we look at all the different um, disciplines of science because I have looked at a few of those things over the years and it just suddenly all fell into place. Now, I think that's why these things aren't taught against each other because when you put it, you know, when it's presented that clearly, it really is chalk and cheese. Evolution is a, is a, a, a theory in massive trouble and creation... You know, even now, outside of Christianity and Christian scientists and all that sort of thing, even now there is a push for this whole idea of intelligent design. Because the more we learn about things that were just, you know, we, you know poor old Darwin back in the day, you know, he assumed that something like a, a, a cell or a slug, or you know, he assumed that they were very, very simple creatures. And that, you know, obviously if evolution began, it would have started with something simple and then gradually became more complex. Well, he, didn't, he had no idea of the complexity of the most simple living organism. And today, as we do, you know, scientists are going, there's no way. There's no way. This is like doing my head in. This is so complex. There's no way that this thing... And, you know, and, and, and well, we're not just discovering the complexity, but we're discovering that, that things are dependent upon other things, both within a single organism or, or within communities. You know, it's like things are created to be dependent upon one another. And so you've got to say, well, how did that happen? And so people are wrestling with those questions, and they're not Christians, they're not Muslims or, or you know, other people that would tend to believe in God, but they're being led there on the basis of the science. And they need to ultimately you know, discover, work out what they're going to do with the Bible and what they're going to do with Jesus and so on and so forth. But I don't think we should ever be intimidated just because we're Christian and just because some guys claim to have the science on their side or the evidence on their side or rationale, uh, being rational on their side. Like I said, Christianity over the centuries has proved that can exist, and not just exist, but thrive amongst opposing viewpoints. And even hostile ideologies. Atheism hasn't, and Islam hasn't. And that's why they need to be so proactive in their pursuit to get the upper hand against Christianity. Atheism will, you know, atheists fight tooth and nail to keep people out of the truth, to keep the truth out of the limelight. And that's why, as Tone said, you can turn on Q&A and you get a physicist. You know, seriously, you, if you hear a Christian physicist and you put him against an atheist physicist, it, it's no contest. I guarantee you it is no contest. It is no contest if you put a, 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 um, a biologist. Because again, the, the evidence speaks for itself. And you will see them fumble over themselves and you'll talk about that, you know, they will say, well, yeah, we haven't really found the missing link. And, you know, yes, it does. We haven't actually seen any transitional forms. And you know, they'll, they'll fumble all over themselves. 
And the Christian will have nothing to, to hide, he'll have nothing to be ashamed, he will, be, he will answer questions, he will put the guy on the spot. Because what we have makes sense. Again, so that's atheism's tactic. It's just to keep the truth out of the limelight. Islam thrives because of violence. That's the bottom line. You know, you, can't, you cannot. If you, take, if you go back to the evidence, if you go back to the rationale, if you go back and look and study history, you will realise that Islam has not thrived or survived on the basis of its quality as a worldview. It does not improve people's lifestyle. It brings people into bondage. And... It th- and, and Muhammad himself had issues there. He had problems. He wanted to be like Jesus. He wanted to promote a faith of peace. And so when they say Islam is peace, you know, that was the intention. The only problem is for Muhammad, he wasn't Jesus and it didn't work for him. He had to resort to violence to get his thing off the ground. And unfortunately, you know, when Muslims today resort to violence, they're just being consistent with what Muhammad did and taught. That's the bottom line. Now, yes. Throughout history, some Christians have have done some horrible things to other people. But they haven't been consistent with what Jesus taught. Whereas when Muslims do some of the things that Islam demands of them, they're being totally consistent with what that religion teaches. You know, right now, the estimates are that every five minutes a Christian dies for their faith across the world. And you know where they're dying? They're dying in Muslim countries and they're dying in atheist countries. Because these two religions or faiths, or worldviews, they cannot stand on their own. They feel threatened by something as simple and beautiful as a man who walked as Jesus did. He literally was the Son of God, and those that experience him come into a relationship with him, they won't be put off. They continue to, to preach the truth. They, they, they're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and, and they just they thrive, even in the hardest, most persecution-type persecution places. And that's happened for the last 2,000 years. These are the sorts of things that we should look at, or our government should be looking at. Not saying, oh, well, religion has no place in politics, because we just said that every person is religious. Every person brings their worldview, every person brings their, their prejudices into their political position. And so let's not you know, fall for that nonsense. But let's just know what we believe. And let's allow God to get hold of our lives and, and direct us and move us. And we can be influences in other people's lives. And ultimately, you know, the, 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 the goal would be that the prevailing world uh, worldview would swing back to that which is right, that which is common sense, that which works, rather than something that doesn't work and needs to be defended through lies or violence. You know, on the Q&A the other night... One of the funny things was that, um, you know how they do little um, SMS, people SMS things in, little messages along through the show? And uh, one of the things that come up is poor old guy says, he's, I'm an atheist and I'm sick of the Christian bashing on this show. (laughs) It's it's, it's that obvious, seriously, it's that obvious. And so I'm going to wrap up now. I I was going to talk about, you know, some of the, the reasons why I believe that Jesus is who he claims to be. Because at the end of the day, why Christianity? It boils down to a one word answer, Jesus. Jesus is the reason why Christianity, and there's a whole bunch of reasons, you know, that's, that could just be a cliche, you know, that a Christian who hasn't thought about it sort of comes up with as an answer, because Jesus is the answer to everything. But it's actually the answer too, for a person who has thought about things from so many different angles, and, and you can't get away from or escape the fact that the difference between Christianity and every other religion, worldview, faith, whatever you want to call it, is the person of Jesus Christ. There's no one like him in history. 
There's no person that's done what he did. There's no movement that has, that has, that has had the, the impact and been the blessing in the world like Christianity has. And so if I get another shot next week, I'll probably look at that. So maybe it would be good to come back and hear the rest of this message because it's not finished. Thank you very much. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.